0: Back to the census now. More than one in five Canadians of working age are close to retirement, we learned today from StatsCan as they released 2021 census data, an all-time high. That will have major effects on Canada's, Canada's economy, the labor market and the healthcare system, of course. Um, Canada's working age population, that's those aged 15 to 64, has never been older in the country's history. About 22% of the working age population is 55 to 64 nearing retirement, in other words. So calling it, quote, a date with demographic destiny, Laura Martel, who's the director for the Centre of Demography at StatsCan, said Canada is at a very special place right now in its demographic history. Actually, one in five Canadians among the working age population is currently between age 55 and 64, likely to exit the labor force if not already done. There are very large implications of this situation, and it is certainly one factor explaining the current labor shortages that Canada is experiencing. That's Laura Martel, the director for the Center of Demography at StatsCan. Well, joining me now is Don Drummond. He's an adjunct professor at the School of Policy Studies at Queen's University, former chief economist uh, at TD Bank, and former senior department and financial finance, sorry, financial official uh, at the Department of Finance. So uh, well versed in all sides of this debate. Um, good afternoon, good evening, Don. Thanks for being here. No, you're welcome. So I guess we're already seeing some impacts of this. It begs the question, as always, I'm sure you've been asked this many times, are we ready for this demographic freight train?
1: Not in the least bit. This is the most fascinating in you know, public policy or private issues there could possibly be. It is at once the most predictable public policy issue we have ever had. This has all been baked in for decades. We've seen it change gradually. It's highly predicted. There's really nothing other than the non-binary and transgender question results in the census that is out of line with the previous Statistics of Canada projections. So we've all known this. And yet... There's the least amount of planning being done for it. We are not planning the right type of care for the elderly. We're not creating the work conditions. People are not saving enough in their retirement accounts. Uh, you, You go on at private sector, public sector. It's like this... It, it's always a problem that's out of somebody's window. It's always three years out. We don't care about it. We're focused on this year. It's five years out. It's 10 years out. Well, it's here and it's happening right now. We're, we're not prepared for the slowing of the economic growth. We're not prepared for the slowing of revenues. And we're not prepared for the speed up of health costs and, and pension costs. And, you know, the average savings in an RSP account is $116,000. Good luck with that when you uh, lived in 95 and you retired at 55. One would think that
0: this would be, I mean, perhaps the last one, all of them should have been wake-up calls. You would think perhaps this one, specifically after the pandemic, what we saw Mm -hmm. with long-term care, that maybe this one will be the one that wakes people up. Do you have any confidence that might happen?
1: Well, but look, take exactly their long-care example. So, we had the crises, initially 80% of the COVID-related deaths occurred in long-term care, an absolute disaster, we had to deal with that, but the reaction of the politicians was the most obvious, but the wrong-headed one, we'll build more capacity in long-term care. There are no older people in this country sticking up their hand and say, send me to a long-term care institution. All the polls indicate they want to live independently as long as they can, and if that's not in their home, they want it in the community base. It is more expensive, and long term care is more than double the cost per day. And home care, nobody's talking about revolutionizing and kick starting what is almost a non existent home care uh, sector in Canada. It's all build more long term care. That's not what we need. That's the more expensive, and most importantly, that's not what people want. So even when they did get jolted into action, And they're not going in the direction that people want them to go. You listed
0: off a lot of things at the beginning of this conversation. But what sort of impact? I mean, you talked about slowing growth, declining revenues, more expensive health care for people getting older. I mean, this is just a litany of things that seem like they're a perfect storm for bad news for our economy.
1: Well, there are, there are things that could have been addressed, but they haven 't been addressed, so that yes they are going to they are going to hurt um, Aging of the population alone adds one percentage points of growth to health care costs, so if they were going to go up five percent per year, otherwise they 'll go up six percent because obviously health care costs are more expensive. There are ways of addressing that, like the lesser-cost home care, but we're not doing that. We spend $6 on long-term care for every dollar home care. The northern European economies spent equal amounts, or in Denmark, even more. There's other models that we could have embraced that. We could have been changing the work plan. We had, and It was very popular until a few years ago, had the, the golden 85 pension rule. you uh 55 years old, 35. Uh, Thirty years of service, and you could retire with a full pension. Well, you know, if you lived to eighty-five, it meant that you're as long in retirement as you would work for. Nobody set up a private or or a public uh, pension system to cover that. But why not? It's just plain math. Why didn't we see that? How many companies have what I call the binary rule? You're sixty years old or whatever age, and you face the choice: you work. Again, in exactly the way you did before, you've got to manage a budget, you've got a bunch of big staff, you're working like 15 hours a day and all that, all that kind of pressure, you've got to travel or you quit completely. There's no part-time arrangements, no advisory type arrangements. Uh, why don't we have those more flexible there's a lot of companies that have their pension plans that your pension is based upon your salary in your last couple of years. If you work part-time for a few years, you destroy the accumulated value of your pension. But again, why would we have that? Why don't we have these transition rules? And we talk about immigration, but we don't even look in domestically. We have a very large population of indigenous people who is concentrated in a much lower age group but has a much lower labor force participation rate we should be focusing on getting that labor force participation up for their benefit for for all the canadian's benefit that could be 20 to 25 percent of the growth in the labor force of canada if we close that gap but you never hear anybody talk about that in terms of how we could get the uh, offset some of this natural slowing of growth so uh, Again, you know, I, I just don't really get it. And I keep seeing people using economic forecasts that still featured 2, 2.5% two growth for as far as the eye could see. No, that's not what this demographics gives us. At our modest base of productivity growth, we're looking at probably about 1.5% real growth uh, from Canada for the next 20 or 30 years. And our, our spending growth is much faster than that. And so not only are we not going to get rid of this big deficits and debt we've built up that we're probably going to accumulate more. Again, we've not planned for this.
0: Um, I, I was trying to look through the 2022 budget because I know originally that's what we were going to talk about. But I was looking through the 2022 budget, trying to find some indication th- that this information would be coming out soon after, basically saying, you know what, we're, we're having it. There's it, it, a bit of a demographic time bomb happening here. Um, I didn't see much evidence of awareness of, of, of this in the budget itself, if any, really.
1: No, there's not. And, and, in fact, when the Liberal government came in, uh, they did a, what is p- pretty strange action. Uh, Harper had taken some flak for raising the age of entitlement for old age security on, on a phased-in basis to 67, and the Liberals unwound that and put it back to 65. But when that age of sixty-five uh, was set for retirement, uh, the average longevity was a lot shorter than it is right now. I think there's some natural inclination that they should sync up as the longevity goes. That that age of entitlement should rise, but we actually this government actually went the other direction. So no, I don't. I don't see us planning for that. All the emphasis in the budget increased uh, involvement with the provinces in long-term care. It's very interesting. The province of Ontario. The Conservative Party said if they get reelected, they will put some more money into home care, but it's a fraction of what they're putting in long term care. So, again, it's not focused in the right place. <laughs>
0: Um, One of the things that's come up a lot, of course, is building up new immigration. I was going to ask you about this after the break, which was, you know, we have to house people and you've raised this alarm in the past as well. You know, we just don't have enough housing out there to even accommodate the people we're hoping to bring in to make up for this demographic deficit that we're having. Um, we'll, We'll get to that right after. But before we go, I did want to ask you if there was anything, you know, does this mean we're all going to have to work into our 70s now? Is this where we're
1: going with this? Well, it doesn't mean you have to, but some people, well, let's not put it in the sense of half. First first of all, the majority of people wish to continue working in some fashion up to their 70s. But again, it doesn't mean they want to work exactly. Like, when I was at the Department of Finance, when I was at TD, I just gone flat out all the time. I don't necessarily want over the next 10 years to work exactly that way, but I don't want to do nothing either. And it's hard. There's not that many options for that. That's what most people want. They want to be engaged in some fashion and they don't have those options. That would continue the earnings. It would delay the time that they need to draw their pension. So I don't want to really put it in the sense that they must work and That's what some people want on their terms. But we don't often create those terms for them. Yeah, that
0: would, that would certainly, having more flexible arrangements for, for people who have just or contemplating retirement but wouldn't mind working for a while longer in a, in a different kind of capacity would be a fantastic idea. Uh, I'm speaking with Don Drummond, a junk professor at the School of Policy Studies at Queen's University, a former chief economist with TD and former senior department of finance official. When we come back, we will talk a bit more about immigration and housing uh, because it has been a topic uh, that people have been discussing a lot lately. and We'll get to that after this. I've been speaking with Don Drummond, adjunct professor at the School of Policy Studies at Queen's University, a former chief economist uh, at TD Bank and former senior department of finance official. We've been talking about uh, Canada's aging population, Canada's aged population, and just how ill prepared we've been for this uh, very predictable demographic uh, shift. Um, One of the things that was really interesting I found in some of your budget analysis, Don, was you were talking about, obviously, the need to bring in more immigration to the country to make up for the lack of of, uh, working age adults in this country, but also just the huge struggle we're going to have providing enough housing for people because, as you've pointed out, housing starts don't match the number of people we're hoping to bring in.
1: Yeah, well, first, just on the need for the immigration, it's not that simple. So Mm -hmm. The most important thing is to identify what your objective is. And I don't think the objective is just to increase the size of the economy. It, it's really to increase income per person. Mm-hmm. And immigration only does that if the immigrants integrate successfully economically and socially. And there are gaps in that. The, the earnings of, of immigrants for a long time, um, for decades in fact, is lower than the Canadian born. There have been some greater success of immigrants in integrating the economy over the last 20 years, but it's still not working as well as it should work. So you you can't just dial it up and bring in the immigrants to think that's going to make everybody better. It has to be quite strategic. And in the budget, they did do some steps that should help in that. So that's still kind of a work in progress. It's not necessarily a solution. And we also keep in mind we're inundated with this news of the imbalance between demand and supply for housing. But keep in mind that that imbalance has occurred over the last couple of years, been highlighted over the last couple of years, where immigration has been very low because of the pandemic. The government has an objective of an increase of roughly 450,000 new permanent residents per year going forward. And even if there's uh, several people in a household, that's adding a lot of demand for housing uh, somewhere, (laughs) even if it's an apartment that knocks down uh, through through the cycle and we're not creating enough. So it's like it's two completely different policy streams and nobody thinks about how how the two relate. So we we already have an existing deficiency in the stock of housing and that's more than likely to increase as immigration gets resumed.
0: I get the sense that that's sort of an ongoing theme here. With part of your frustration, I would suppose, is that it seems like there's a lot of policy out there that isn't speaking to it to each other about what the goals are. What can be done now? We've identified what the problems are. What do you think in the short term could be done to try to at least begin addressing these demographic issues that we're facing?
1: Well, there's so many things on the demographic front. First, we we need a thorough reform of our healthcare sector. It's it's not just a changes here and there. We spend, uh, well, the number got inflated because of the pandemic, but aside from the pandemic, we spend about 11% of our gross domestic product on healthcare, and we think that's relatively cheap because it's less than the Americans, but it's in a group of the second most expensive in the world, and we get fairly mediocre results for that, so we should do an awful lot. The whole system is geared towards the repair of something after it's already gone wrong. It's not through the promotion of health. That will be cheaper. We don't look after aging people very well. We do not age well. We institutionalize people. That's more expensive. That does it. We do not have the various professions work to their scope of practice. We have no human resources planning in it. We don't have a pension system that works very well in the private or the public sector. We don't have adequate private sector savings. The list goes on and on and on. And in housing, the number one thing we need to break is this aversion to density. We can't have it both ways. We can't have a large population in Canada, which is concentrated largely in eight big metropolitan areas, without having the high-density con- concentration that other big cities around the world have. And yet, we don't want that, and we exhaust the sprawl. And, of course, you run into problems you know, Victoria and Vancouver. Above all, you've, you've got geographical limits to how much that sprawl could go on. Other countries, other cities have that as well. Um, it would be interesting to follow what happens in the city of Edmonton, where they're proposing to tilt their property tax regime to, in a sense, penalize single dwellings in the urban area and and give an incentive for multiple dwellings, and that could get a rough ride. But all these other things and the things that were done in the budget, I mean, half the things that were done in the budget to address this housing problem will actually increase the problem. Setting up a savings plan for first-time buyers, that increases demand. Um, mm-hmm. fortunately, their, their crazy idea they had in the election platform of lowering the mortgage insurance premiums uh, didn't make it into the budget. Hopefully they've forgotten about that. But again, that just puts the taxpayer at risk and is increasing the demand. So in many cases, uh, when we have a problem, the, the shovels are out quite actively making it worse.
0: Uh, so when we look forward, I, I guess there's not, not much cause for, uh, we're going to have to make some very serious choices pretty soon. And it doesn't look like any government is necessarily that prepared in this election cycle, through every election cycle, to make these kinds of long-term decisions.
1: Well, we have this very unfortunate reality, uh, democracy is a great thing, but it focuses on the current mandate. And whether that's two, three, typically that most four years, that's everybody's focus, And until we ended up with the disaster of the COVID-related deaths in long-term care, nobody thought this aspect of not planning for the aging was going to blow up in their mandate. And, of course, that did, and that shocked them into action, but unfortunately, it's in the wrong direction direction, I think, but, you know, we're in the next 20 years, we're going to double the 75 plus population, but isn't, it doesn't happen next year all at once. It doesn't happen the year after that. And there's always that incentive. And of course, this is the problem we've been talking about since the Rio discussions in the early 1990s about doing something serious about climate change. But no one ever anticipates that the d- big disaster is going to come all at once. Well, guess what? It did in B.C. <laughs> I mean, take your choice in which season it was either on fire or you were flooded. It's real. It's yeah. happening right now. And that was predicted before, but no one anticipated it would happen all at once and that quickly. So, you know, will that spur some action? It seems to for a moment. But then, of course, when we get the run-up in gas prices, what do governments do? Will they start offering uh, temporary reductions in gasoline excise taxes going in exactly the opposite direction. Again, appealing to the problems and the issues of the moment, this reticence to long-term planning.
0: Don Drummond, uh, you've been watching this for a long time. I know you know it well. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us tonight and shed some light on uh, all that we learned today from this census data.
1: Oh, you're welcome.